This is the Faith Center Fellowship Podcast. For more information, you can find us online at faithcenterpeople.com. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so happy to be here this morning. I see a lot of friendly faces. I see a lot of people that I know. And I always like coming here because <clears throat> it's a, when you speak, when you go out and talk um, and, and speak, uh, even though you're speaking on God's behalf, a lot of times the places you speak, they're a little, uh, they're a little um, uh, apprehensive sometimes when you go, go there. And sometimes you're, you just don't feel as welcomed as you do at other places. I can honestly say about this house, this church, that I always feel so at home here because of the inviting spirit that you guys have. You guys just have a friendly spirit, and I really appreciate that. And I'll tell you why I appreciate that is because about 70% of what I do and who I talk to is in the unchurched world. That means they never go to church. They're never a part of the house of God. They're never part of church services and stuff. And so when they do actually come and show up, they hear I'm speaking somewhere, and they think it's going to be like a, a comedy club kind of thing, and they get in the place, and they're like, what is this going on here? And people, you know, they, 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 the thing is, when they come, when they see that there are friendly people in the body of Christ, it means everything. And so I really want to just say thank you for being the friendly part of the body of Christ. Because, yeah, for real. Like, you don't have to applaud yourself, but applaud the neighbor next to you. Unless they've got a mean look on their face right now. Then it'd be like, straighten up. So I really appreciate that because we are supposed to be the image of God on this world, on this earth, right? And I don't think God's in heaven going, mm, I don't like those people. I don't think that. I think God's in heaven saying, come on, come to me, come to me. He's invited. He's opening the front door so wide so he can get everybody in. That's God's will. It's God's will that no one should perish, that all would come to him. And we hold God's will and plan in our hands, and now we have to live it out. And part of a huge part of that is, is being nice to people. And so I, I say that just as a genuine thank you for being nice to me. Because you don't have to be nice to me. Look at me. I wouldn't be nice to me. But you choose to, and I appreciate that. Hey, before I get into the word, and I'm so excited about the message today because God interrupted me violently uh, this morning and said, here's the direction I want you to go. And I said, God, I already have my message prepared. And he said, I don't care. So I know it's specific, I know it is for somebody, and I know this, God would not call me from Los Angeles, California to fly through hurricane weathers to come here to speak to no one. I know that he has sent me here to say this, what I'm going to say today. I know it, I know it, I know it. And so what that means is God is going to set someone free in this building. And I'm excited about that. So... So I want to share with you, before the message, I want to share with you, um, I done wrote myself a book right here, and I went through a big thing, I'm going to talk about that, I'm going to share my story with you today, um, I shared a little bit of my story before, but I'm going to share my story with you, and God's got some specific things that he wants me to share about it um, today, but this, uh, the last two chapters have a part of this, what I'm going to talk about today included, but this book is called Scars, and here's the deal, God told me, Elijah, I want you to write a book of your stories, of your different scars, and, and I, if if you've ever seen me at a pool type situation, you realize that dude has a lot of cuts and scratches and scars on his body. Um, not tattoos. I don't believe in tattoos. These are all fake. But the, the, 
but I, I've, I've had broken bones. I've had my nose broken three times, broken collarbones, been in motorcycle crashes, been in all kinds of stuff like that. And each scar, broken toes, each scar has a story that God has used to, to bring glory to him and bring people closer to him and have an understanding of how to live better. And God said, I want you to write some of those down. And so I did. And here's the deal. I came up in a culture, that a leadership culture, and that leadership culture always says this. They say, leaders are readers. They always say that, leaders are readers. Now, I've always even said that, but the thing is, I'm just going to let you guys in on a little something about me. <clears throat> I've never been a reader. Like, I can read. I just don't like to read. Like, I just don't. And I know some of you are shunning me already. You're just like, hmm. And because we hear things like, leaders are readers. But you know what? Most murderers are too. <laughs> so let's settle down with that, you know? And so I was like, God, you want me to write a book about my, I don't have any problem writing, but writing a book about it. And, and, and he said, yes, I want you to do it the way that you talk. And I was like, God, are you, are you aware that the way I talk is I interrupt myself all the time? Like it's so grammatically incorrect the way I speak. And he said, I want you to do it just like that. And so I did, I was faithful to that and I didn't know what to do with it after that. And only a month went by and God opened some doors and it went, and the first day it was released, it went to the bestsellers list on Amazon. And, and so I was like, what's going on here? So I'm really excited about it, but let me share with you, because we're in church this morning, the reason that I want people in the church to get this book, the reason isn't necessarily just so that we, we can read it, but it's written in a way where you can take each chapter and it stands alone, and so we can go to people that, that need an encouragement, uh, that, and you can just say, hey, listen, read three, chapter three of this, and it's only a few pages, and it's, it's an easy thing to do. It's not homework, like, you, don't, you know what I'm saying? So it's an easy thing, and it's created in a way, um, then God told me to do it, that, that the Bible says, the fivefold ministry gifts are given to the saints to work the ministry. We're supposed to equip the saints, equip everybody in the room to go work ministry in their life. And so what this is, any resource that I provide, I hope to provide a resource that equips you. It gives you a tool. I drive Harley Davidson's. That's what I ride um, because that's what Jesus rode. And I... <clears throat> I love Harley Davidson's. The thing about Harley Davidson's is there is a certain kind of Allen wrench tool that you use on Harley Davidson's. You you don't use metric. You use standard tools on a Harley Davidson. You that's how it is. Now I can have the nicest metric tool set in the world, expensive, beautiful. I can have that. But if someone's got a broken down Harley, for me to hand them that tool and say fix your bike with this, it's only going to it's going to aggravate them more because I'm handing them something that doesn't work on the thing that they're supposed to be working on in their life. What this is, is a tool for you to work on. It's an effect. It's just an easy thing to work with the unchurched. Does that make sense? And so if you're working with people who don't know God, who don't believe in God, this, believe me, even the cover of this, it shows this very ugly guy with a big heart scar on it. It's, it, it's, going, to, it's going to do something that connects to more of an unchurched mindset, if that makes sense. And I know you guys, know that the church mindset is all in company and God doesn't care about all the, the outward thing. But sometimes sometimes those silly things are tools that help reach people that, uh, that look at that kind of stuff. And a lot of times there are things that drive them away by the millions. So, that, and that's true. Um, so, so I want you, if you can, pick that up. And secondly, if you want to pick one of those up, they're 15 bucks at the table. If you're paying by card, it's $15.99 um, because that's the way they process it on the card. I'm not sure why, but 15 bucks. And if, um, if you have any extra that you want to give toward a book, what we do with all the extras is I have a discounted rate for $5 that each book for $5 covers the printing and shipping to take with me when I go places. I usually go try to add a juvenile detention center that I go speak at 
a, a, a prison, a jail. And so I like to take in a box of books with me or a package of books with me that I can leave. And we've been getting testimonies from all over the place. Um, I got a testimony just uh, 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 I guess about a month ago, maybe two months ago from a prison guard. He found me on Facebook. He's like, dude, I don't know who you are, but I, I've just read your book. And uh, because an inmate of mine said, I was having a bad attitude one day, and an inmate of mine said, hey, you need to read this book. The, so the prisoners themselves are giving these to the Yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool. And that's special to me because another young man reached out to me and said that, or another prison guard from another, from an actual uh, jail uh, prison he re, in, in Texas, he, he reached out to me and he said, hey, th- there's a guy that wanted me to get a hold of you that wanted me to let you know that uh, uh, when a riot broke out that he chose to not be a part because he said he was getting his life straightened up as a result of reading this book. And so I was like, praise God, that could have saved that guy's life. And so that's important to me to leave those resources in there. And the most important part of it is because that's how my family came to Christ. Is my, my little Mexican nana was in an institute. My grandpa spent his life in prison. My, my little Mexican nana got saved as a result of someone witnessing to her while she was in jail. And, and my, my hope is that we can provide that same kind of thing. And then two generations later, someone can be preaching the gospel to other people. So, so that's, that's kind of the goal there. So if you can, any penny, any penny that comes in... Over the $15, if you want to give it, just leave it back there. We've got an inventory of how many books and everything above that goes toward that. And then um, if you want to leave your, your, your information so that way we can send you the tax stuff if you need that kind of thing, um, we'll, we'll do all that. So just all that kind of stuff. All right, enough of the commercial stuff. Let's all one more time bow our heads and pray. Father God, help us. Amen. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says this. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under the heaven. Okay, so here it is. I was waiting for them to say, I've got my Bible in the future here right here, but they've got it up in the back and on the screen, so I'm doing this right now. Um, uh, A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which was planted. Everyone say, pluck up that which was planted. There's a time for everything, a season for everything, and there's certain seasons in our life that we find that a seed has been planted, and there's two kinds of plucking up that that I believe are vital in this message, is one, the kind of plucking up when a bad seed has been planted. There's a season and a time to identify there's a bad seed that's growing some weeds, that's growing some unhealthy things, and it's time to pluck that thing up. And then there's another season... When it's good seed that has been planted and it is, it is bearing fruit and it's time to pluck up the thing. It's time, to, it's time to reap a harvest on the thing that was sown, the seed that was sown. I told you that I'm going to share a little bit of my story today in a way, um, in a way that God has instructed me to. And, and uh, so just go with me on this story. It starts in September, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in November the 23rd, 2015. It was about midday, and in a room full of doctors, cardiologists, um, I hear this. This is what I hear. Here's my impression of the guy. You ready? Here's here's my impression. It's this. Mr. Tyndall, remember how we said you probably wouldn't need heart surgery? Well, we need to talk. (laughs) That's not what you want to hear from a group of heart doctors, not what you want to... So, okay, in order to get to this point, let's go back two months before that. Two months before that, 
I was out on the road. I was speaking. I was doing comedy. I was do- and, and there was something that was happening on the inside of me, just in my chest area, that it, it wasn't a big pain. It was just kind of a, um, an un- like, it was just a shortness of breath. And when I say shortness of breath, I'm not talking about like the, because you hear heart s- surgery, you hear heart problems, and you think when I say shortness of breath, it, it equals <gasps> like that. Nay, that's not what was happening. What was happening was just a kind of like a, like it was just something wasn't quite right. It just, some, it, matter of fact, just say that. Something isn't quite right. At that moment, two months before the Mr. Tyndall, remember how we said you probably wouldn't need heart surgery? Well, we need to talk. Two months before that, I had to identify that something wasn't quite right. Here's the deal. It, it wasn't a huge symptom. It wasn't this giant thing that was happening. That, but I just knew something wasn't quite right. So I did what my family has always done throughout the history of our family. I ignored it. Because that's what we do is I always assume that, that, you know, it's not quite right. Like, you know, that's why, um, like, in your car, you, you, you have noises. Come on, that's why God created the radio. You just turn the radio on, and you turn it up, and, and it covers it for a season. Or, or the, the light, you know, the indicator light, the check engine light that comes on, and you're like, ah, what is that? Well, that's why we have fuses. You find the fuse that takes that light off, and then you go on. That's how my family has, that's the history of my family's response to when things aren't quite right. We have always just assumed that it was going to go away and get better on its own. But here's the thing. If you're like me, you've realized this about that kind of response. You've realized that that has never worked, has it? Never, ever, not even once did something just go away. Nothing just goes away and gets better. It doesn't. It only exists and gets worse if we don't deal with it. We have to identify that something isn't quite right, but I just ignored it. Why? I blame it on my, you know, I blame several factors. I blame, uh, I blamed it on my, my little Mexican nun. I was raised in a Mexican household. Um, I ha- I'm half white, half, half Mexican. My Mexican side stops right here. This is the big Hungarian white side that grew this, this tall. And, and so, so, and, and I, I, I know this about myself being half white. Um, I am, um, uh, because I've had to have surgery for a thing called trigger finger. Another, another word they told me from the hand specialist about trigger finger is they call it Viking's disease because you can't have trigger finger. That means where your finger's locked down without being some kind of descendant of Viking bloodline. So not only am I half Mexican, I'm also half Viking, which makes me potentially the most dangerous person in this room. And in this household with my little Mexican nana, my nana, listen, you could not come in and say that you got hurt without getting in trouble. And if you came in, you're like, oh, nana, I think I broke my ankle. My nana would say, mijo, I didn't want to tell you that, but that's how you were before. You're fine. Get out of here. Like, you would get in trouble. If, if Vicks Vapor Rub or Alka-Seltzer could not fix it, that's it. You're not going to the doctor. Like, that's just it. And so I did what we always do, is I just ignored the symptom. And because the symptom wasn't that bad. And 
I could say it was because I wasn't taking care of myself, but the truth is I was taking care of myself. I was in the gym four or five days a week. I was eating, uh, uh, I was eating vegetable heavy, like I like vegetables. Um, I grew up having to deal with type 1 diabetes all my life, so that's 40 years of diabetes on my system, type 1 diabetes, and so I've learned to stay away from the sweets. I've learned to, to eat like that. Now, I do like, you know, I'm half Mexicans, beans, beans and rice and Jesus Christ. I love that, but, but I eat... I eat, a lot of, I eat a lot of vegetables. And so it's not like I have a real unhealthy meal plan or, or diet. My, my lifestyle just, but so surely it's not that. I'm in good health. Matter of fact, at this time, I, was in the, I, was, I thought I was in better health than I'd been ever in my life. I, I felt like I looked good. I felt like I was, I, was, I was bulking up on muscle and leaning down on fat and, and all the stuff. that. But I still had the symptom that something wasn't quite right. Maybe you're in this room and you're, you feel like you're doing all the right things. And you feel like you're, you're making healthy steps, but on the inside, you know, and you identify something isn't quite right. Now, here's the thing I know. It's not you, but it's for certain the person sitting next to you. That you're making the right moves. You're doing the right things in a lot of areas, but there's something that isn't quite right. And what we do is we try to ignore that. So I went on. Two months on the road, two months just doing what I do. And, and finally, I was at home, and it was on a Sunday, and I told the kids, all right, kids, listen, if I still feel this in my chest, if I still feel this after church today, then I am going to go to the uh, emergency room, and I'm just going to have the doctor. It's probably no big deal, but I'm going to go, and I'll have it looked at. And so we went to church, and it was one of those services where I was hoping that God, like I was really like praying. Maybe some of you in here, you were praying that God, like God, you know, just do a miracle today. Like I was hoping that someone would get up and say, now there's someone in here with a chest thing that just isn't quite right. You know, I was like, yes, please, God, do that, you know, and like heal me so I don't have to deal with this thing. And But, but nothing happened in the service and I was like oh no not even a good song like come on I need some give me a goosebump something and so I go to the emergency room and you've been to the emergency room you know what I'm talking about it's slow you can grow a beard in there <laughs> just waiting to see a doctor and I go in and I I had to bring myself to letting someone else look into my life, into my situation, into my health. I had to go from identifying. If you're taking notes this morning, maybe write this point down. One, identify. We have to identify when something isn't quite right. We have to identify what it is. You know, well, how will I know what it is? Chances are we don't have to dig very deep for that. Matter of fact, all I have to do really is hand this microphone to the person who lives with you. We don't have to dig deep, usually. We don't have to have a, an angel from heaven saying, Yea, thus saith the Lord, here's what the hidden thing is. <laughs> you, usually we know what's going on, you know what I'm saying? And we try to make it like, oh, it's a big... But, but usually it's pretty practical. The gospel is pretty easy and practical and, and applicable in our life. We're the ones who make things super hard so that way we can loop a whole, our way around things. Once again, not you, but the people who didn't show up in this section over here, the people who didn't show up in those empty chairs, they're at home right now just living lies. And <laughs> And the second thing after identifying something's not quite right is we have to allow 
Everyone say allow. We have to allow someone with more insight. We have to allow others to, to start examining us. And that's a hard thing for us because we, we assume that we can do this on our own. And here's the common denominator with everyone who is a Christ follower, who everyone who said, I need Jesus. We have all come to the place in our life that we've said, I can't do this on my own. I will screw this thing up on my own. I'm not big enough to do this thing on my own. We've all come to that realization in our life that we can't do this on our own. We have to allow God to do things for us. We have to allow Jesus' mercy and grace to cover us. We have to allow accountability. And I was at the place in my life, in my health, that I had to, no matter, no matter if I thought I was healthy, no matter if I was doing all this other stuff, I knew something wasn't quite right. And if I don't deal with it, then something is worse may happen. So I had to go and allow. So I go into the... the, the, the um, emergency room and I talked to the lady you know the lady that does the insurance and and all the stuff and I talked to her and that's the first step usually that's the first step they send you into the chair for two hours and they call your they call your name uh incorrectly and then you go into the room of deception the room of deception is where they take you in they check your blood pressure and then they send you right back out to the waiting room and then you're waiting two two more hours for to go back there so that's usually the process so i was i was geared up for the process i had my battery charged on my phone i was ready to to to, to instagram and facebook it up and so so i walk in and she said what's what seems to be the problem and i said um I just, something's going on in my chest, and it's just, something isn't quite right. And she says, okay, hold on one second. And she goes, and three nurses come out, and they immediately escort me to the back. And I was like, they must have seen me on TV, on Comedy Central, so I'm getting the VIP treatment up in here. I was like looking at the waiting room, see you suckers later, I'm gone. Because the symptom was in my chest, they realized that uh, this may be more serious than I thought it was, and they wanted to expedite the process, and, and so I learned something valuable. If you go to the uh, emergency room, no matter what you're dealing with, mention your chest. <laughs> Repent later, but that's a way to get in. So, <laughs> so I go back. They hook me up to this thing. It's an EKG thing. And this is where they, um, they put these stickers all over you. And they have these little wires they, they, and, and little plug-ins on it. And they go, it runs to this, this machine. And then the machine prints out this big uh, piece of paper, like an old-school printer, you know. And, and it has the, the little thing. The, the, the actual thing it looks like is like on Maury Povich's show, whenever they're doing the lie detector tests, you know, like, you know that kind of it's, it's got that thing. And so it prints that thing out. And that is getting some kind, of, some kind of evaluation and check of what your heart is doing on the inside, like the, the electrical stuff of your heart. And so, so the doctor comes back and he says, hmm. he said, you know, Mr. Tyndall, I, I see there's a small, a tiny little bit of irregularity right here. He said, but you know what? If you weren't having this symptom, if you weren't complaining about this feeling, I would, I would look at this and not even think anything of it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't think of it. But since you are having this feeling, then I want you to stay overnight. Now, listen, I did not want to stay overnight. I, I live literally five minutes away from this hospital. I did not want to stay overnight. And I was like, no, I was just kidding about that feeling, man. I, I'm, I, I, 
I'll just come back in the morning. He said, no, let's keep you overnight. Let's, let's, let's observe you overnight. And then tomorrow, I want to do something. I want to put you on a stress test. And, and, and we'll try to recreate the symptoms that you're having. So that way we, we're here and we can see what's going on in real time under, this, you know, under a safe observation. And, and so what that was is a treadmill. I don't know if you ever know what the stress is, but it's a treadmill. And it's an old school treadmill. It's not the new school treadmills with all the boop, 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 like cardio, this uh, fat burning, but no, none of that stuff. It's a treadmill with no buttons at all. It's the kind where you have to push the thing like that. Like you're learning to do old school dances on the thing. Like you have to push it and and so, and it gets your heart rate going. And so then when your heart rate gets going, you have the symptom again, and then they see you. And so I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. And they said, listen, because it's your chest, you need to allow us to keep you overnight. You can walk away right now, but with your symptom, it's very important that you allow us to do it. I still had free will to walk out of there. You, today, you have free will. You, no one is making you allow someone else to get involved. No one is making you or forcing you, but you're here this morning, possibly, because there's something not quite right, and God brought me from Los Angeles, California, where he lives. He brought me here, and he, and he wants to rescue you from this thing that, and you might be saying, listen, Elijah, it's not even a big deal. I, it's not even, there's not even a lot going on. There's not even, a, I, I don't know why you're taking this so seriously. I'm telling you why, because this thing, God sent me here to cause you to see that you can walk away, but if you do, it could be vital. It could be bigger of a deal than you even know that it is. I'm telling you, the thing you're going through right now, it could be, it could be much bigger than you think that it is. Because right now you're just like, I identify something's not. But you may not know the extent of what's happening on the inside of you. I get to, I spend the night there and they're telling me, uh, you know, Mr. Tyndall, listen, it's so important that you don't have a lot of stress on you. We want you to just relax. We want you to, and I was like, relax, man. Send me home and let me come back. That's what, and they're like, no, listen, you need to relax and no pressure, no stress, and just, you know, just take, take a load off. And so, so I'm there and I'm getting antsy. Remember, I don't feel that bad. I'm up, I'm mobile, I'm, you know, and so I'm getting in trouble because I'm supposed to be laying down in the bed with these things on me. I won't wear the robe because I don't like the robe because I can't tie it in the back correctly. And so I put my sweats on over the stuff and, and I'm walking around. I'm talking to people in the, in, the, in the other rooms. I'm working the crowd. And they're like, Mr. Tindall, get back over there. I got in trouble because they tracked me down into the cafeteria. Uh, and, 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 and they're like, you, you need to stay in the room. What if something happens to you? I was like, if something happens, I'm literally at the hospital. Like I'm here. Uh, you need to get back in your room and just take it easy. Get off your feet, take it easy, relax. No stress, no pressure, just relax. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I, you know how your kids do when they have to go to bed. And I was in bed and, and I finally fall asleep after I, my, my battery died. And, and I, I fall asleep and, and I wake up at two o'clock in the morning. And there is a, uh, there is a, a giant man. He's not facing me. His back's toward me. And He's from the sheriff's department, and he's got a bulletproof vest on and a gun at his side, and he's hovering over the next bed, and which there is a gentleman there, and he, and he, he is handcuffed and leg cuffed to the bed next to me. Now, I don't know what kind of stress they think is happening at my house. 
But if the goal is to just not stress and relax, I don't know. And so, so I realized, oh, this is the, where I went to the emergency room. This is the county hospital. In the county of Ventura County, this is the hospital that if a prisoner in prison gets sick, they send them to this hospital. And, and so now this guy's laying beside me, and he looks over at me because I'm kind of, you know, I mean, a picture of me, this is me alive and alert. Like, this is me pretty. Imagine, imagine me at 2 o'clock in the morning, like, oh, like that. You know, I am, I'm Doc from Back to the Future. You know, that like, and... <laughs> And he looks at me, and he's, he's in the next bed, and he looks at me, he looks, he looks at me over, he goes, Orale, Holmes. You do tattoos or what? And I was like, I can try, man. I don't, like, I don't want any trouble. I... So the day goes on. I get down into the stress test area. Stress test area, they wire me up. I'm sitting there, I'm waiting. Uh, the, the little team there, they put, the, they put uh, an IV in my arm and they're running to the IV. They don't press the, 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 the thing yet. They don't inject the stuff, but they have what's called a chemical test. And the chemical test is if they can't recreate the symptoms on the stress test, I mean, doing this, they're going to shoot me with this stuff that makes the insides go like that. And then they're going to, they're going to, they're going to see what's going on in that way. And then when they see what's going on in that way, they're going to, um, they're, they're going to, you know, evaluate it. And then, and then I guess this, I, I'm addicted to crack cocaine after that. I don't know what, but it's stuff. And so, so, so out of, out of, this doorway that I didn't even know was there, this door flies open. <laughs> and it's a little bitty tiny room. <sighs> and this doctor comes out. And I promise you it looked like smoke was like burrowing out from behind him. And he goes, he goes, who sent him here? Who sent this, this guy in here? What doctor is it? And I was so offended. I was like, how dare this guy? Like, I'm literally, I'm right. I'm so close. I'm like this close. <sighs> who sent him here? And, and I was like, oh, how dare he? How dare he? One, I have a name. I know it's on that chart, but I'm not just a him. I'm not just, I'm, and I'm standing right there. Don't be so rude about the way you're addressing this issue. Like if I had my phone charged, I would yelp about this guy. Like, no, this is poor <laughs> service here. He was so rude. Turns out, this guy was the first cardiologist. A cardiologist is a heart specialist. Everyone who had looked, up, looked at me to this point was just uh, general doctors and, and nurses, which are highly educated. But this was the first guy who's a level beyond and specializes in issues of the heart. And he came out, when he came out, he was a lot ruder. See, up to this point, they were really being nice to me. Like, they were really, they were, oh, you know what, you're, pro you're way too young to be a heart. This is probably not a heart issue. Look at you, you're in shape, you, you eat well, your blood sugar levels are good. I mean, we, we've not seen this kind of good blood sugar levels on. I was like, yes, go on, have you seen my arms? Like, I, I was really, I was really being flattered by what they were saying about me. And that's the way we are. We really like it when people are encouraging us. We really like it when people are cheerleaders to us. And we need that in our life. But every now and then a coach comes along. And I don't know if you've ever played a team sport. But as it were, coaches are not that interested in, in, in cheering you on like the cheerleaders are. 
They're interested in identifying the things that are not working and helping you grow in those areas. And not a lot of times, I've seen it pretty common that coaches can be a little rude sometimes. I know you're thinking, no, say it isn't so. But it's true. And, And people get mad at the coaches. But it turns out the coach is the one that sits on the outside that has more of a knowledge of the whole entire game and the layout. And they are able to speak things and identify things that aren't quite right and see how to fix those things. And this guy was more of a coach than a cheerleader. I like the cheerleaders. I I like cheerleaders. They're much prettier. They're much nicer. They're much, this guy's, who sent him in here? And he comes back out and I was so mad. And he comes back out and he said, He's, he's, <sighs> have you ever heard of an angioplasty? It's like, what's that? I've heard the word before, but it's never associated with a good story. <laughs> so an angioplasty is where we go in through a, a main artery in your leg and we look around and see if there's any blockage. She said, listen, there's, re, there's, there's a potential risk in every test, in every medical test. And I'm afraid that if we put you on this treadmill today, that uh, you're going to die. How dare this guy? Has he not seen that I work out? Has he not seen my blood sugar reports for the last two years? Has he not seen all of the good that I provide and I came to the table with? Nay, he didn't care one bit about that because he was interested in one thing and one thing alone, not letting me die. I was consumed with offense at the way he was saying it. Now, possibly, not in this room, but surely outside of this room, watching the millions of hundreds of thousands, watching online, possibly you have been offended at someone who said something to you inside the church, a leadership, a pastor inside the church that you needed to hear, and you just didn't like the way it was said. It wasn't that it was the wrong thing said. It was said in the wrong way according to you. And so, therefore, you leave the church. Because how dare they do And And see, today, I hope we all make best friends. I hope, we're, I hope we're messaging each other on Facebook. I hope we're buddies. But today, i got to be honest with you. I didn't come to make friends. I came to be the doctor that says, you better, you better deal with this thing. Because though it may not seem like a big symptom to you right now, though it may seem small, God took it serious enough to send me from Los Angeles, California and say, if, if, I, if, if the next test comes along and you are not dealing with this thing, you may not make it. You may, the next text that you send that is just not quite right because it's to the wrong person, or it's said in the wrong way. The next thing that you know isn't quite right, but you allow to continue in your life, maybe the next one is going to reveal everything. And God is trying to rescue you from that. He's trying to save you from that. He's trying to help you because the next test that comes along, there's a potential. The risk is you won't make it through that. I would listen. I, I know, I know. I don't like this guy. Go back in the office. I know. But I've got to be faithful to what God said. Because I had a good shiny message this morning. All ready to go. 
And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to be that, that coach that comes out. I want you to be that doctor that comes out and tells them the next test may not be good. And so the beauty is he's given us an opportunity. So he, he sends me into the angioplasty room and they put this little thing in my leg and, and it's, it's a, it's a, you can see it on the screen. Like there's a screen there and you can see it and it just it goes around, you know, and it's looking for blockage. It's in your veins and it's looking for blockage. And so me and the whole team in there, we're cutting up. That doctor's not in there anymore. It's a new doctor. And, and, and we're, they're, they're setting it up. And, and, they're, it's, and, and, and so it's, it's a fun time because they're like, uh, you know, here, we're just going in here. And, uh, and so they tell me this. The, the guy says, oh, Mr. Tyndall, one of three things are going to happen today. One, we get you in here and we, we look around and we don't find any blockage. We don't find anything. And you just got indigestion. We heard you say beans and rice in Jesus Christ. You just go, you got gas, you'll go home. Bada bing, bada bang. Number two, we get in there, we find a, a, some blockage. But while we're in there, we can open it up with a stint. And then bada bing, bada bang, we're out of there, you go home. Or number three, and it's probably not number three. Number three is that we find a blockage that we can't open up and and you'll have to have heart surgery. But once again, it's probably not that. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's. And so everyone's gathered around. We're watching the screen. And I'm like, take a left, take a left. Take, ah, go back and take a left. And I'm trying to guide them around. And, and we're having fun. We're having a good time. After about five minutes, they get very quiet and take a screenshot type thing of the screen. And no one's talking. I'm still in there cutting up. <clears throat> oh, Mr. Tyndall. Remember how we said you probably wouldn't need heart surgery? Well, we need to talk. Everything stopped at that moment. Because it's like, whoa, 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 what? Dude, this can't be. Like, I, I, I'm not, I don't need to get heart surgery. Like, just open it up. I've got gas or something. Come on. Turns out that if I had gotten on that... Uh, that treadmill that I would have dropped dead that day. How do I know that? What they found is I was 98% blocked. In my, that means 98% of the blood trying to get through my heart and into my body was, it was, it couldn't get through. Only 2%, I was surviving off of 2%. Here was the results of surviving off of 2% of the flow in my life is that I was having numb reactions. My hand was going numb. My feet were going numb. And I thought, because I ride motorcycles, I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm sitting on the seat the wrong way or something like that and it's cutting off circulation. But it wasn't that. It was that, that the flow wasn't going through because I had issues in my heart. Maybe you're in here today and there's an issue in your heart, in your life that there's just not a flow in your life anymore. And maybe stuff that used to be natural, it used to be so natural for you to have good relationships with your spouse or good relationships with your kids, good relationships at work. And now, now the things that used to flow so naturally that you're supposed to be able to do, now something's not quite right and you feel like there's numbness there. There's, there's, because, because something has stopped flowing from the most important part in your heart, the issues of your heart 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's a time to, to plant seed, but there's a time also to pluck up that which was planted. And sometimes there's things that are planted in the inside of us that start to grow, and those things might be negative things, and those seeds might be growing, and the weeds start to stop up the flow. And the result of a blocked flow in your life is that now things that you're supposed to do, be able to do naturally, be able to flow in naturally, you just you can't anymore. There's a numbness there. There's not an ability to do it. Maybe you've, you've knocked yourself out and you've said, God, why is it that I can't feel your presence? Why is it that I can't just feel connected to you? Why is it that I'm having such a hard time in this area? And God is saying, listen, you have symptoms. You have to bring yourself to identify them and you have to bring yourself to allow me to get in there. And now my allowing went further than I thought it was going to go. I thought that it would be done with just going to the doctor. Now, it's, I've got to allow them to literally cut me open. They hand me this video, this DVD, and it's supposed to prepare me for the surgery. It tells me what's going to happen. That is the worst thing to show me. Like, well, I'm not one of those guys who could like, I don't, I don't like it. I don't even like seeing needles, like shots and stuff. I can't. Like, it's flu season on the news. You know, it's flu season. They, they pull that needle. I'm like, oh, like I hate it. I'm not the guy to show that stuff to. And they show me, they give me this DVD. I put it on my computer and it starts showing. They literally get a saw and saw through your sternum. They're cutting you in half. And I was like, I'll just, no, you guys, like, just do what you're going to do and wake me up two years from now. Like, I don't want to. And then they prep me for surgery at uh, three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to surgery at five o'clock at three o'clock in the morning. This guy comes in, he's in his mid-twenties, he comes in, and he's holding a pair of clippers, and he's at the doorway, and he's like, <laughs> like that. It's a crazy look in his eye. I was like, what's this guy doing? He's like, I got to shave you down for surgery. And at this time, I had a beard, and I thought, hey, man, just hand me the clippers, I'll shave myself. And he goes, okay, well, I'll let you shave your face. And I was like, well, what else are you talking about shaving? And he said, I've got to shave, I just, you got to shave down for surgery. And I was like, uh, so like my chest? And he's like, no, everything. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, why did this guy sign up for this job? <laughs> so he said, he tells me, he says, oh, when you're having heart surgery, they open you up in there, and then and 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 body hair is like one of the main uh, things that has like bacteria and stuff on. So you you got to shave completely down, and 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 I was like. Well, is everyone else in the room going to be shaved too? Like, no, they're going to be covered. I was like, well, cover me with the same stuff they're covered with. Don't you got to make me aerodynamic? What's going on here? <laughs> and my point is this. My point is when we begin the process of allowing others to get into our life, allowing God to open up our lives to another, we will find sometimes that it is even more uncomfortable than we thought it was going to be. We need to know up front that I am willing no matter what it is. Because that's the thing. People want, they, they say, I've repented. I, I repented for doing that. Yet they still go back to the same thing over and over and over. See, true repentance is letting yourself completely be. It doesn't matter if I'm humiliated because of this thing that was in my life. I'm now free from it. But to get to the other side of it, I've got to bring myself to a place of humility. Where it doesn't matter if God takes everything, if if, if, if 
if God allows everything to go away and I'm stripped down to nothing and I can rework it from there, but I'll rework it in a healthy way because this, what I've been doing is not healthy. It's just pretending like I'm dealing with the situation, but I'm not really doing it. I'm just going through the actions, going through the motions. And God wants us to get to the place where we are willing for anything to be done in order to get to the other side of this. A lot of us, we don't like the fight. We don't like the process because the process is hard. We want, that's, that's why, you know, we, we ask God for, for miracles. There's nothing wrong with God, asking God for a miracle. God is the, he's the God of miracles. He, he loves doing those things for his kids. But here's what, here's what I know. There's a thing about obedience that is so much more pure. And, and perhaps we always need financial miracles because we don't live a life of obedience, of tithing and offering. And it's that process that we grow through that causes us to not have to need these things a lot of times in our life. A lot of us want the miracle of, like I, I told you, I've dealt with type 1 diabetes since I was 4. Now here's what I know, is I cannot just stand around and say, you know what, God, I believe God, and I thank God for manifestation of healing in my body from type 1 diabetes, and then I be shoving Twinkies in my mouth in the parking lot. Because if I'm not willing to do my part for what I'm asking God to do his part on, then I'm not really, really wanting this to happen. I'm just wanting to be lazy. I know that's not a popular message. I know that's not a popular thing to say. But we need to be willing for any part of the process, even if it takes us down to, to just brokenness. See, he shaves me down. I feel very insecure. I feel very weird because three other people are in the room just going over charts. I'm like, uh, hey, hey, a blanket over here. <laughs> they take me down to the thing, starting to put me under. I, I pray this prayer and say, God, I don't think that this is my time. I don't think, this is, I don't think my race is complete. I, my kids need me here. I mean, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go right now. And, and I said, so I'm asking you to bring me through this. And either... Either you are going to bring me through this, or if not, I'll see you in a minute. And then the, and then the medicine kicked in, and I was gone. And then when I woke up, I tried to sit up, and everyone, nurses and doctors around, they said, oh, stay still, stay still, stay still. And, and, and I was like, oh, okay. And I had this big tube, and, oh, and I was laying there. And, and they, they sawed me open. They didn't care that I'd been on two national tattoo shows where they did these big chess pieces, and, and we were about 12 hours away on this new tattoo show that's coming out. They didn't care about all the outward image that I was so consumed with. They were just concerned with keeping me alive. Maybe we're too concerned with what it looks like out here to everybody else when we need to be more concerned about letting ourselves be opened up and our heart be worked on. Maybe we didn't come to church this morning so that way we could hear from God, but maybe we came so it would look good to everybody else. Maybe we didn't come because we wanted him to work on our heart issues because those are ours. Maybe we came so that way everyone can see that we go to church. We're good Christians. Glory to God. And I don't think God cares. I just don't think God cares about how good we look on this earth. I think God cares that we are in a good place in our heart 
And out of that, out of that, our life is better. Out of that, our imagery is better. But I don't like facades. And and they ripped me open and they worked on my heart. They thought it was going to be a triple bypass. Uh, But they got in there and they said, nope, we need a quadruple bypass. I only wanted three. They were like, throw in one more. And so they did a quadruple bypass. They had to take... They had to take, they had to graft out, listen, they had to cut out uh, main arteries that were placed there by God. It was God's will, God's intent for those arteries to be put in there and to be used. But because of the clog that happened, because of the the things that had eventually built up over time that, that were stopping the flow, at some point, God himself had to remove the thing that was his original will. It was his will that it was there. And then he, the great physician went in and he got a vein from my leg and in my back and he, he grafted in a new vein. And maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't understand what's happened in my life. There's some turns that happened. And I, I just know that was God's will. God, God brought me that relationship. God brought me this. And you don't understand why that thing didn't work out. But let me just tell you something. You don't have to understand all the details. Just be open to allow God to take out of your life the things that don't need to be there that are stopping up the flow and remove it with something healthy that will release the flow again. To replace it with something healthy. Does that make sense? I want that to free somebody. I want that to release somebody from condemnation and, and, and shame and a feeling of guilt that the, the thing that you know God originally planned didn't work out. Sometimes things don't work out. Yeah, that's the whole reason Jesus came. It was a plan of restoration. Because his original will was Adam and Eve, you guys, hey, don't eat that tree. Don't eat off that thing. And they're like, okay. And then Eve was like, you want to eat off that tree? And I was like, yeah, I want to eat off that tree. And then, then it's like, okay, now a plan of restoration. Sometimes a plan of restoration. And it becomes even more beautiful than you ever thought it could be. Happens. But you have to allow yourself. You have to identify what's wrong. And, and lastly is this. You have to go through the process of healing. Uh, that, that process of healing was really hard for me because when they got in there, they not only sawed me open, they were supposed to be able to, to bring my, my heart out and do the work, but the, because of how, I'm not sure what was going on on the inside, but they had to collapse my lungs to make room, and so I didn't have any air in my lungs, um, which means I couldn't breathe on my own, and I had to, I was doing like that when I woke up, and then they had to, not only that, they still couldn't get in there, so they, they, they broke all of my ribs on each side, in order to open up the cage more. And so that's why they were like, don't move, don't move, because now I'm dealing with a swollen heart that had been sewn and grafted together. I'm dealing with a sternum that now has a piece of, a, a metal piece that goes through it like this, trying to hold it back together until it mends back in place. And I've got broken ribs on both sides. Um, I too felt like I fought Mayweather. And, <laughs> and I... I had to determine, I had to determine within my heart that I wasn't going to stay in that position. It could be today that you're in a place, you're in a place of brokenness, you're in a place of, and you're, you're just down. You can't breathe. And I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I would try to talk because my lungs were collapsed and they couldn't refill those with air. I had to do it on my own and that, that took about a month to do. So I would talk like this. <laughs> now, that's problematic for a guy who talks for a living. And I had to determine in my heart 
then I'm going to move forward again. Doctor came in, he said, hey, listen, Elijah, I got, I got news for you. Okay, so we had to do all this. Um, your bones are broken in all kinds of places. X-rays look horrible. And, but the thing is that when this reheals, because the way that they were broken, because of a clean break, because you allowed us to do it and not it be done, but it wasn't an accident, but because of the clean breaks it is, what's going to happen is that those bones are going to graft back together. And when they graft back together, they're going to be stronger than they ever were before. They're going to, they're going to guard your heart in a way that they've never been before. They're going to be stronger than they ever were before. And I was in a place of brokenness. I had to determine within myself, I'm going from brokenness to a place where I'm, I'm going to be stronger than I ever was before because of this process. The process I didn't want to happen in my life, but it was happening, and now I had to determine that I'm going to be stronger because of the process. And this, this last little piece of information that you need to know is the encouragement that I needed to be determined to get to the other level was this little elderly woman. She was probably about 94 years old. And she was coming down the hall. See, everyone on that floor had been through the same process I've been through. She had been through it about three weeks before me. And she was a little elderly woman, and she had that little uh, the thing that carries the medicine, you know, on the IV stuff. And she was, she's walking, and she's like, <laughs> and I could see her down the hall. And I was just laying in the bed, and I could see her. And I was like, and she had this crazy look in her eyes. She was like, she was taunting me. I could tell. She was like, and she was just like, and she was like, <laughs> walking down the hall. And I thought to myself, listen, if that lady, if she can make it, then surely I can make it. Like she was in worse condition when she came in than I was. She was, there's, there's factors that I, I know that I can make it if she can make it. And she, and I determined in my heart and she passed the room and she's like, <laughs> and she, and then so the next day she did it again. And I was like, I'm going to get that lady. I'm going to, I'm going to race that lady. I'm going to win this if she can do it. And so they, they, three days later, they said, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to walk from your bed. We're going to try to get you from your bed to the chair, which is about this far. And I determined in my heart that I wasn't going to tell them, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk from the chair to the doorway. Because I see her. She's taunting me. It's like, I got to get out there on the track. And, and so the physical therapist came, and I started walking. And it was hard. It was wobbly. I started walking and walking. And then she tried to get me towards the chair. And I was like, no, 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 no. Keep going, keep going. And so I went to the doorway. And she was like, you can't, don't be trying to go to the door. And I got to the doorway. And I was like, ah. I forgot that I had to walk back also. <laughs> but I did it. And that little lady, and I was literally telling the little old lady now when I saw her in the hallway, because she said, I was telling her, I'm coming to get you. I don't know if she knew what that meant. I hope so, dear God. <laughs> she was the encouragement that I needed to see. I needed to see that someone else made it beyond where I was. That someone else has been through the same thing. The friend, listen, the thing that you're dealing with, the thing that you think is, is destroying you, is, you need to make it not just for you to survive because others need you as an example because they're going to go through it. And when they go through it, they need to see that someone else made it. And they're, they're doing, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not the healthiest. She's 94 years old. And she was being an example for a guy. Who, who they needed a visual. And, and she went by. And so the next day, uh, I, I walked all the way to the nurse station. 
with the physical therapist. And then I walked back. And then the next day, I said, I'm going halfway around this hallway. And then I, I walked halfway around the hall and walked back. And then the next day, I said, I'm going all the way around. And that day, I said, I'm going all the way around. I went all the way around. And guess who was coming out of her room? The little old lady. And she, she, and she saw me, and, she, and I said, I'm going to, here I come. I'm on you. I'm going to beat you. Like, and she was like, you'll never catch me. And I was like, you, <laughs> eat my dust. And I, she beat me on that first round. <laughs> but the next day, I walked with her. And then later on that day, I went past her. The next day, I lapped her. And I tripped her. No, I didn't trip her. That's... <laughs> so three months later, I go to um, Athens, Texas. And uh, I had just met a, a pastor, Pastor Mark Allen. Just met him. And uh, he asked me at, at a conference that we were speaking at in Garden City, Kansas. And and he called me up. He said, hey, man, you want to come out here for Father's Day and, and preach? And it was the first time I'd ever been there. And, and I was, it was a new relationship. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I landed in Dallas. And, um, and we were going to the rental car place to pick up my car. And he turns to me and he says, man, too bad you don't ride motorcycles because someone gave the church a beautiful motorcycle. And, uh, and I was like, well, what kind is it? And, uh, and, and he said, that's a beautiful, it's a custom Harley, man. It's nice. And I was like, keep, apparently you don't know me. Keep going. We're not getting to the car. It's the middle of summer. Let's get that bike. And so we go and we get that bike. So I'm riding it that day. And it's got, I look at it. It's beautiful. It's got a custom paint job on it. I don't really identify what the paint job is yet. I just, I'm riding it. And so the sun is going down. And, and I look down and I'm sitting by a Walgreens. There's a Walgreens right over here, a pharmacy. And I look down at the paint um, and just to see what it is. And I realize what it is. The paint is a broken rib cage. And I just started to, I just started to, like, it wasn't one of those easy cries, you know, just like, I hear you, God. I hear, it wasn't that. It was like, you know, when you hold it too long. It was one of those. I was the weirdest biker looking guy ever. Sitting at a stoplight crying because I remembered what the doctor said he said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal from this brokenness and when I heal from the brokenness I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be stronger than I ever was before and not only now am I moving forward I'm not just moving forward with a little old lady I'm moving forward in power signs of brokenness but moving forward in power. There's no greater power than Harley Davidson V-Twin power. <laughs> I was moving forward with power. And God spoke to my heart. He said, Elijah, this is what I'm doing in your life. And this is something I want you to share with others because this is what I want to do in their life. I want them to identify the symptom because the symptom may be worse than they think but they're hidden signs of it. I want them to allow me to get in and allow complete open brokenness so that I can work on their heart and I want the healing process. I want that healing process to start. Listen, you may be going through something right now in your life and you're afraid to allow God to get in because you don't know what that thing is gonna mean to you. 
you don't know how much work, you don't know about the pain, you don't know, and you're just not willing, and you're saying, I, I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm just gonna let it be there. But I came to tell you, don't let it sit there. You have to allow God to get on the inside and start working this thing for you. You have to. It's so important. He ends up, over the weekend, giving me that motorcycle. Yeah. I, see, there's a time to sow, and there's a time to pluck up that which was sown. Remember the two things I said at the beginning of this? There's a time to identify the things that are negative and pluck those things out because they're weeds and they're clogging the flow. But there's also a time when good seeds are planted in your life. And after a season of time, after a season of healing, after a season of maturity, then it grows a good fruit. And that good fruit, it's time to enjoy the harvest of that fruit. Listen, the second part won't happen without the first part. We have to identify and allow the negative things for God to deal with us. Everyone bow your head, close your eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people. I thank you for the opportunity to speak this into their life, the testimony of how you've brought me through from a place of moving forward, a place of brokenness and out of breath, a place where I couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to walk again. I couldn't be, uh, imagine what it would be like to speak your word on a stage again. I couldn't imagine, Father, I was just trying to stay alive. There's people in here, Father, that are just trying to stay alive. They, they, they don't know what they're going to do about this situation in their life. But, Father, I thank you. You've brought me here to speak into their heart today. Your word. Holy Spirit, you're drawing them in to say, deal with this issue right now. I thank you. I thank you. And as I leave this place, I know, Father, that you'll put on their heart a walk-through process, that they'll communicate to the people and the leadership and the, and the pastors that they need to communicate their issues to, so that way it can be dealt with and the process can start and you can get on the inside of their heart. But today, it's about identifying and allowing that to happen. And it's a testimony of moving forward with power. If you're in this room and you'd say, Elijah, I've never said a prayer asking Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior, but today I want to. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand in the air and I want to say a prayer with you. But maybe you're in here and you'd say, Elijah, I have said that prayer, but if I'm honest with myself, things are not where they need to be. And I need to press the reset button on my spiritual journey. I want to jump in with anyone who'd be saying this prayer for the first time. And I want to recommit my heart to Jesus today. I want to just make things right between me and God. And I want to get back on the track of where I need to be. I want to recommit as if it's the first time. If you're in either one of those categories, in the count of three, I want you to slip your hand in the air. It could be no one in the room, but it could be you. And if it's you, just be faithful to this. Be honest about it. The count of three. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. I see your hand right there. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand right there. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand right there. I see your hand over here. I see your hands over here. I see your hands there right there. I see your hand right there. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand up there. As soon as you put it up, you can put it right back down. I just want to know who I'm praying with. I see your hand. Thank you for being faithful to that. Thank you for being faithful. Sir, I see your hand. Thank you for being faithful for that. Thank you for being faithful to that. Here's what I want everyone to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Everyone say, Father God, I need you in my life. I can't make it on my own. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit, and I'll follow you forever. Thank you for saving me, God. 
In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's give God a hand clap. Lord, we love you.